Well, hey, happy Easter, y'all. It's still Easter, you know that, right? Okay, like, I know just because you found all the eggs doesn't mean that Easter is over. Like, Christ is still risen, right? Amen. Yeah, he's still risen indeed. Uh, so today, um, I figured I, I would share with you some, uh, some leftover Easter thoughts, um, some things that, that didn't make it into uh, my message uh, last Sunday. But, but by leftover, I don't mean like bad leftover. I, I mean like, you know those leftovers that just get better after they've been sitting for a couple of days, like a pot roast, right? Like the good kind of leftovers. That, that's what I want to share with you today. Um, so sometimes when, when I write a sermon, when I write a message, I end up writing like two or three messages, but they just, you know, take a different paths, like, you know, choose, choose your own adventure kind of story. So that, that's, that's sort of what happened. Uh, I ended up going in a different direction last week. So today, I figure let's go back to the resurrection story. Uh, this time I want to take you to um, Matthew's account of it. So this is from uh, the Gospel of Matthew, starting in, uh, in chapter 27. It says this, it says, uh, the next day, day after Friday, day after Jesus was crucified. The next day, which was the day after preparation day, the chief priest and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. They said, sir, we remember that while the deceiver, talking about Jesus, the deceiver was still alive. He said, after three days, I will arise. Therefore, order the grave to be sealed until the third day. Otherwise, his disciples may come and steal the body and tell the people he's been raised from the dead. And this last deception will be worse than the first. Pilate replied, you have soldiers for guard duty. Go and make it as secure as you know how. Then they went and secured the tomb by sealing the stone and posting the guard. After the Sabbath at dawn on the first day of the week, Sunday, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the tomb. And look, there was a great earthquake for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, coming to the stone. He rolled it away and sat on it. Now his face was like lightning and his clothes as white as snow. The guards were so terrified of him that they shook with fear and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, don't be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus who was crucified. He isn't here because he's been raised from the dead, just as he said, come and see the place where they have laid him. Now hurry, go and tell his disciples he has been raised from the dead and he's going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. I've given the message to you. And with great fear and excitement, they hurried away from the tomb and ran to tell his disciples. So we know the story, right? Jesus was crucified. A wealthy man named Joseph of Arimathea had his body laid in a tomb. And with the burial and death of Jesus, things are, are seeming to settle down now in the city of Jerusalem. Law and order has been maintained. The peace of Rome continues to rule with an iron fist, but the riot has been avoided. Pilate's job is secure. The high priest has his temple privileges back and his teaching podium 
back, that things are getting back to normal, and all it took was the death of one man. And now his disciples are hiding behind locked doors in and around the city of Jerusalem because they, they know that the same Pilate that killed their leader would soon seek after them to take their lives just to make sure that this whole Jesus thing, this whole Jesus movement would come to an end and be over for once. But for the religious leaders, the, the priests, the, the scribes, the Pharisees, they, they have a bigger problem because for them, the threat to their power it is not just because Jesus is dead. The threat to their power isn't over just because Jesus is dead. Be, because they remember that, that Jesus said this thing where he said, uh, I can tear down the temple and raise it back up in three days. They, they see, they remember that Jesus had this strange prediction that he would rise from the dead. Now, it's not that they actually believed that Jesus would do this and could actually pull it off. No, no, they believed that somebody might come and make it seem as if Jesus had done it. You see, for them, it's not over just because Jesus is dead. And so they have a meeting with Pilate to make sure that there can be no way that a rumor of resurrection can get started. They, they had enough trouble with a water walking, water to wine, making friners, friend of sinner, friending Jesus. <sighs> I got lost everything last week. <laughs> but, but if word starts to get out that this Jesus has survived crucifixion, well, there's no way they could ever control any of this. They, they, they weren't afraid that Jesus would rise from the dead. They, they dismissed that. No, they, they were afraid that Jesus's disciples would come and steal the body. And if the body is stolen, then it would begin this very dangerous game of telephone where, where, where somebody would end up saying he rose from the dead. And if somebody says he rose from the dead, then someone else is going to start believing that this Jesus really was the Messiah. And they say that deception will be greater than the first one. And so here's what the scribes and the Pharisees are thinking on Saturday. They say, if this body goes missing, then things are going to get a whole lot worse for us. And so they meet with Pilate on Saturday and they tell him, we've got to lock this tomb down because if we can just hold out until Sunday afternoon or, or Monday morning, then we can show the dead body of Jesus to the world. And this whole thing will be over. All we've got to do is make it from Friday until Sunday afternoon. Then the story of Jesus is over. And so they go to Pilate because Pilate is the guy that has all the power. Pilate's the guy that has all of the authority. Pilate's the one that will make certain that this body of Jesus won't just walk away. And with Roman power and Roman might, Pilate can be certain that this Jesus movement comes to an end. And all he has to do is lock the tomb of Jesus down for 48 hours. Show the body on Monday, and it's all over. So Pilate does everything that he can to secure 
the tomb to make it sure that, that nobody takes the body of Jesus. And he does it in three ways. First, they roll a stone in front of the tomb. This was a huge two-ton stone rolled down and inclined, set into place. Stone was there just to make sure that nobody got in and nobody came out. Second thing that Pilate did was he ordered for the tomb to be sealed. Now, now the seal was, was almost like Pilate had put his signet ring upon this, almost as if Pilate had hung a no trespassing sign over the grave of Jesus, as if it were to say, listen, Pilate says, this stone is not to be moved. Pilate says so. And if you tamper with it, you might end up on the inside of this place. And then the third thing that Pilate did to make certain that the stone and the seal were not bothered with, Pilate posted two guards in front of the tomb, a sign of, of military might and power of Roman rule. And so surely a stone, a seal, and some soldiers ought to shut this resurrection stuff up once and for all. But early Sunday morning. You remember the story? Hope so. It was just last week. Early Sunday morning. Pilate finds out it's not over. Early Sunday morning, Pilate finds out that he's not all that powerful. Early Sunday morning, Pilate finds out that he's not the one in charge. There is someone with more authority than he has. Uh, we, we say, there's a, there's a why not kind of God. <laughs> that looks at a stone, that looks at a seal, that looks at some soldiers and says, why not? <laughs> why not just move this thing out of the way and walk out of here? You see, in the resurrection, Jesus is saying, to the religious leaders, the scribes, the Pharisees, he's saying to Rome, you can't stop what God has started. You, you can't kill the movement of God. There's no stopping this at all. The, the resurrection says that this ain't over. This ain't the end. You can try all you want, but this thing isn't over. It's just beginning. And so here's, here's how God did it. See, the scribes and the Pharisees, they, they wanted to maintain possession of the body of Jesus. Because as long as they can show the dead body of Jesus on display, they thought we can prove that Jesus is dead. As long as they had the body, there will be no more Jesus talk. But they got a problem on Sunday morning because they come to the tomb and there is no body. The body is not where they left it. And, and the only explanation that they can come up with is that Jesus' disciples have stolen the body. Now, just, just think about the fallacy of this argument for, for just a moment. They got Roman soldiers guarding the tomb. They, they've got a two-ton stone rolled down in incline to seal the thing in place. They, they've got Pilate's seal around the tomb, and they think, that some poor fishermen from Galilee overpowered the guards, rolled away this two-ton stone, and, and what? Is their plan to go back to Pilate and say, hey, hey, Pilate, while your men weren't looking, some, some grave-robbing Jesus gangsters came and stole the body of Jesus. 
I mean, this is, this is the proverbial throwing someone under the bus. Some fishermen from Galilee have overpowered Roman soldiers in the middle of the night, moved a two-ton stone, and nobody was there to see it. Huh. But you see, they, they've got to account for the body of Jesus. Because if they can't find the dead body of Jesus, well, this thing might not be over. See, there has always been a hunt. There's always been a search for the dead body of Jesus. And, and here's, here's what's interesting. It seems that, that if you give historians and uh, archaeologists, scientists enough time, it seems like they can find just about anything. I mean, they, they have found the Rosetta Stone. They have found the tomb of King Tut. They found the lost city of Troy. They found the ash-covered island of Pompeii. We found the Dead Sea Scrolls. We found the bones of dinosaurs. We found the bones of Lucy that, that helped explain some of the evolutionary theory. We've even found the Titanic on the bottom of the ocean floor. But there is one thing that is still yet to be found. The dead bones of Jesus. Can you imagine? Can you imagine the joy that some people would have? If they could take us to a museum and show us Christians the bones of our crucified Savior, we'd have to burn all of our Bibles. We'd have to shut the doors of all of our churches. We would be, what Paul said, the most miserable people of all. Paul said, if this is all some sort of cruel joke, we would be the most miserable people of all. But nothing has been found. <laughs> Because I believe that just as the angel said on Easter morning, why are you looking for the living among the dead? He is not here. He is risen. But they do need proof of life. Because it's one thing for a body to have gone missing. It's another thing to actually lay eyes on the resurrected Jesus. And so Jesus has to show himself. And here's, here's how the way Here's the way that Jesus shows himself to the world. And, and he, he doesn't do it to the high priest. Jesus doesn't show up to the high priest. Jesus doesn't show up to, to Pilate, Pilate's house. I mean, this is, that's how I would do it. If I rose from the dead, just Pilate. <laughs> Guess who's back, 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 back again. Yeah. Yeah. That, I mean, that's how I would do it. That's not how Jesus did it, though. That's not how Jesus did it. Notice how Jesus shows up. And I would argue, I would argue that it's the same way that we know that he is alive today. That, that Jesus shows that he is alive through the witness of other people. In, in all four accounts of Jesus's resurrection, the first person to lay eyes on the risen Christ is none other than Mary Magdalene. That, that when Jesus wants the world to know that he is alive, he shows himself to Mary Magdalene. And then he tells her, go, find the others, and you, you tell them what you have seen. You tell them that I'm back. When the Lord wants the world to know that he is alive, he commissions not Peter, 
Not John, not James, definitely not Judas. Instead, he commissions Mary, a woman. And and what's interesting about this is that according to Jewish and Roman custom during this day and age, uh, women uh, could not give testimony in the court of law. Uh, Women's testimony could could not be counted as valid. And, And so why, why would Jesus choose Mary? Why, why not show up to Peter first? Why, why not show up to, to John first? Why tell a woman if you knew that the world would not believe her? You see, Mary is, is not only a woman. Mary is a life that Jesus has changed. Mary is a life that Jesus has healed. When Mary first met Jesus, it says that she was tormented by seven demons Seven seems like a lot. One seems like a lot. Mary had seven of them and Jesus healed her. I would argue that Jesus has done more for Mary Magdalene than any of the other disciples. Peter only had his name changed from Simon to Peter. Mary had her entire life changed. And maybe Jesus chose Mary as a way to say to the world, the testimony that I live, is validated by the life that I have changed. The the testimony that I live is validated by the life that I have changed. If you want to know that I'm alive, all you need to do is find somebody who will tell you that the Lord has changed their life. The way that I know that Jesus still lives today is by the people who have a story to tell about the way that Jesus has been real to them. But for me, that's when you know he lives. That's when you know he lives indeed. And I think, correct me if I'm wrong, but I feel like there's still a search party out there for the dead body of Jesus. And I'm not talking about archaeologists and and historians and scientists. No, I'm talking talking about your neighbor, your coworker, your friend, your, your, your family member. And they're not so much concerned with the body of Jesus in Matthew 28. For, for them, that, that's already been settled or it hasn't. See, the body of Jesus that they're looking for, I think is the one that Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. When Paul is speaking to the church, and Paul says this, he says, You, you, you are the body of Christ. You are, you're the body of Christ. Church, you're the body of Christ and parts of each other. You, me, us, we, we are the body of Christ. And the world is wondering, just like that first Easter morning, is the body dead or is it alive? Church, are are we dead or are we alive? You know, there's, there's all these statistics. This isn't news to you. There's all statistics about the church, uh, particularly in America, being on the decline. Fewer and fewer people attending church. Fewer and fewer people uh, professing or, or confessing any faith in any religious system. That, that, that's, that's all right. It doesn't mean that the body is dead. You know, never, never once in the New Testament does it say that, that the body of Christ the, the church, what makes a church a church, the body of Christ, that 
It never once says it takes X amount of people. It never once says it takes this kind of person. Not once. However, it does go into great detail to say that the body of Christ is known to be alive and active by the way that it functions. That the body of Christ, the church as the body of Christ is known to be alive and active by the way that it functions. And so to a world that is on the hunt for the dead body of Jesus to prove once and for all that this Jesus movement is over. We as the church, as the body of Christ, we have to ask ourselves, are we alive? Are we? And I think that maybe ask it, ask it this way. Are, are there some people who can serve? If so, then the body is alive and well. Are, are there some people who can encourage one another? If so, then the body is alive and well. Are there some people who are willing to step up and take care of one another when we fall on hard times? If so, then the body is alive and well. Are there some praying people if so, then the body is alive and well. Are there some generous people? Are there some people who are concerned with justice and mercy? If so, then the body is alive and well. Are there some people who are seeking a deeper knowledge and a deeper relationship with Jesus through study and prayer? If so, then the body is alive. Are there some people like Mary, like Mary, who can give a testimony? that their life has been changed by Jesus. If so, then the body is alive and well. The question for us today of whether or not Jesus is alive will be answered by whether or not we are alive. The question of today, 2000 years after the resurrection of whether or not Jesus is alive will be answered by whether or not we as the body of Christ are alive or not. Do we as a church, do we have a pulse? And can anybody feel it on us? Can, can anybody detect it? I, I don't mean to say that the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus 2000 years ago depends upon us and how we act. No, God's already got that covered. God's taking care of all of that. But what does depend upon us is whether or not the good news of Jesus is still good news for the world today, 2000 years later. And so let me ask you first, Dunedin. first Dunedin church. Are we alive? I didn't mean for that to be a rhetorical question. Because <laughs> it's just a yes or no. Either we are or not. First Dunedin Church, are we alive? Yes. Well, then let our yes be yes. And let's live like it. Let's pray. God, we, we thank you. For your church, fallen and broken as, as we are sometimes, just, just like your first church, just like that band of disciples were. But Lord, you, you have brought us together. You have called us yours. And so God, we, we pray that ancient prayer. It says that Christ, you have no body.
but ours. You have no hands but our hands, no feet but our feet. And so, Lord Jesus, help us to be your hands. Help us to be your hands to reach out in love and care to the world. Help help us to be your feet, to walk in those places where you would have us to go, bringing your light and your love and your healing justice to those places. God, help us, help us to be people who are rich with the fruit of the spirit of all love and joy, peace and patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control. Lord, help us to be that kind of people. God, help us, help us to be your church, which is a big task. And we can't believe that you gave it to us. The Lord help us with humble authority to claim that title, that we are your body and give us the courage to live like it. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.